Hey friends, welcome back to your favorite homeschool podcast. You're listening to season two of the Friends of Cabrini podcast. Go ahead right now and subscribe on Apple, Google, and Spotify. And make sure you go tell a friend. back to the Friends of Cabrini podcast and today we have a very phenomenal guest on and she's so awesome. I think that she should honestly introduce herself. I've been following what she's been doing over the last couple of months via social media. Please help us to welcome Miss Sharina Shaw to our show. Guys, she is amazing. How are you today? I am well. Um, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, like you said, my name is Sharina Shaw. Some people call me Okikilo. That's my ordained name. So I go by both. Um, I've been homeschooling for, wow, a solid 13 years now. And I've been an educator for 25 years. So education has been my entire life. And as an adult and it's been a privilege and i have i feel like you know over the time that i've kind of uh been able to just connect with you via social media wise i've been able to see a lot of good things that you're you're doing and i feel like you're you know you're giving it a little lightly in who you are (laughs) um I feel like you have done a lot of work as it relates to advocacy and, you know, just everything as it it relates to education and young people. And so this is a really cool um, opportunity for us today to have you on because I really wanted to chat with you a little bit about revolutionary teaching and the idea of that, you know, Um, and as a homeschooler, I know that for for folks that are homeschoolers, it's already somewhat of a revolutionary idea to take your child out of the public education system and take the nod on, you know, educating them yourself and, and going about. But how did you get started in just your journey in homeschooling? Well, the, the first thing I would say is homeschooling in itself is a radical act of love. It It is is absolutely a a radical act of love. It's not always a radical act of education because so many of us try to implement the toxicity of traditional education into our homeschool at first. But the initial step to say, I'm going to divest is a radical act of love. And what I do is I move people from having their radical act of love and move them into radical acts of education. Um, How did I start homeschooling? Well, my oldest two children were in a very small rural school because we lived in a really rural community. I was an administrator and um, my second oldest daughter came home and said, mommy, you know, these kids are bullying Michaela, which is their oldest sister. And I I planned, we already had an IEP set up Um, for some other issues and I went into the meeting and the teacher looked at me and said in front of the administrator and in front of the associate superintendent so I knew what came out of her mouth was school culture if your children 
deferred to the white students in the same way the Latina students did and humbled themselves, then perhaps they wouldn't be bullied. And I wow. just remember thinking, I am going to go to jail over <laughs> my baby. <laughs> and I can't do this anymore. And I pulled them and they have not been in school since that day. Now, can you share a timeline of when this conversation took place? Because I feel like some people might think, oh, we're so far removed from racism within the school. Um, Gosh. But that's probably really not true. <laughs> oh, no, no. This was in 2012. Wow. 2011 or 2012. Um, yeah, it, it was 2011 because I was I was pregnant at the time. I was heavily pregnant at the time. Um, so, no, we're not removed. We're not very far removed from racism. We're not removed from racism at all in, in the schools. The systemic um, racism or racism is substantial. The implicit bias that is happening in our schools is substantial. And our children are being exposed to it, even in super liberal states like California, where I live. Um, so, like, I'm not in... DeSantis, Florida, or, or anything like that. I live in California, and I'm I'm dealing with this. So it, it definitely isn't gone, and, and it isn't hidden. But from that moment on, I knew that my children would never touch a public school, and um, we changed our whole lives, uh, changed how we lived because you know I, I was a high school administrator, so my income was you know uh, half our income, and. Um, we, we changed everything to homeschool our children because our one goal in, in raising and educating our children is that we raise children to be adults who don't have to recover from childhood. So and I think I think you have a very unique take on this because, as you mentioned, you have been an educator for over 25 years and yes. you worked in the public school sector where you had an opportunity to not only make change, but then you also kind of witnessed some of these um, things where children were being oppressed. Yeah, And so I commend you for even just, just taking the ranks on into your own hands and saying like, I'm stepping up for my children and we're making this decision today. No more. This has to end. You know, that's right. That's and so for parents who haven't done it, let me tell you, this decision was scandalous. <laughs> the whole community was like, oh, my God. My mom, who was an educator in the school district, was like, oh, my God. My grandmothers were like, oh, my God, because they're all educators. And they're like, what do you mean you're leaving public education? Um, so it was a really big deal. And a lot of people were really upset. And I, I remember at one point, my mom was like, well, how are you going to do that? And I was like, I am in charge of 317 students. You think I can't handle these? <laughs> so now why now why do you think that there was that that bit of hesitation and resistance on behalf of your you know from your community on their behalf? Well, a lot of educators feel like when you leave or divest, you're turning your back on the system and they take it as a personal vendetta against them. And it is not. 
there are a lot of really, really amazing educators in the public school system. A lot of them. Very few people come into the system with, with ill intent. But the system is broken. The system in which education publicly was founded, as it stands in the U.S. today, was in preparation for world war so that we could have a compliant workforce. That was the goal, a compliant workforce. It wasn't to create innovators. It wasn't to create dreamers. It wasn't to create whole, happy, independent thinkers. It was to create a competent and compliant workforce. And even the best of us, when we are in the system, we have to operate within the system or we lose our jobs. We lose our livelihood. We, we lose our ability to, to do that work. So when I started to homeschool, it freed me. Um, and for those people who are like, oh, well, homeschooling was probably easier because she's an educator, that's actually false. <laughs> the, the most difficult transition in de-schooling and decolonizing yourself happens with educators because we're the ones who are most steeped in the system. So it took a lot of deep inner work um, to get to the point where we could homeschool, where the relationships with my children were valued and sustainable because I wanted to be teacher. I wanted to be administrator. I wanted my kids to act like they would act at school as if children at school have a good day every day. Um, and they don't. Sometimes the kids are just flat out grumpy. Sometimes they're going through hormones just like they would in a regular school. They have a bad day. And when your mom and administrator and you are holding that public school dogma in your mind about how this should look and when you should do it and what should be done, then you're creating tense relationships between you and your children, which is why de-schooling is so essential. So when you ask me, what is the one thing I suggest for new parents? Invest time in de-schooling yourself and your children. Decolonize what learning looks like because healthy children learn and learning happens all the time. So that is the, the one thing that has the ability to really take homeschooling, unschooling in whichever form you practice it and make it something that doesn't dismantle relationships. Because as a consultant, so much of my work is helping families fix their parent-child relationship dynamics because of homeschooling. Because done wrong, it can be very heavy because the children won't have a lot of outlets if you don't create them. I love it. I love it. I told you this is going to be the show. <laughs> you just mentioned so many gems and I want to go back a little bit because you talked about de-schooling. A lot of people are unaware of what de-schooling should look like um, when they do make the transition. And I do agree with you where there is also the portion of not just de-schooling your children, but then you have to de-school your mindset as well. And I thank you for mentioning that. Um, what was that piece of your journey like for you when you, when you talk about your transition in, in de-schooling your mindset? Oh, God, it was torture. <laughs> it was. It, I. So let me start by saying that I now have six children. Um, ranging from 2 to 20. 
when we started, there was four of them. So when we started de-schooling, um, I had made the mistake of starting to homeschool first. So I began the process of de-schooling because I was like, this is not working. I'm going to lose my daughters. And you know, that, that, that mother-daughter relationship is fragile, <laughs> you know, because especially when they're in their tweens and preteens and, and you're trying to build that foundation for what it's going to look like for the rest of your lives. And I had to realize they are not happy. I, I was trying to have my kids initially, you know, do the classic eight hours a day and this subject, this subject, this subject, all independent and this schedule and we have to wake up at this time. And then I realized that we needed to breathe and we needed to find joy. So in order to start de-schooling, what we legitimately did is we, we canceled the rest of the year. Um, and this was starting in like February. And I would ask the kids what they wanted to do and what they wanted to learn. And I would just watch them and get to know them in a different way. I, I would catch them doing um, the things that they do naturally. And then I'm like, okay, that's how they're learning. I would catch them smiling and laughing and finding joy. And I'm like, okay, that's what makes them light up. That's what makes them electric. You know, I would pick up brochures everywhere I went and just throw them around the house. And I would catch them like holding onto one. And I'm like, okay, that's where we need to go. That's what we need to do. And I began to start getting to know them in a different way. Um, and then after about two months of them kind of being classic, you know, going through the classic de-schooling process of kind of vegging out, watching a lot of TV, doing a lot of computers, all of a sudden during the day, the day, you know, the TVs were off and they were picking up books and they were tending their garden and they were doing all of these other things. And then they'd say, mom, I want to learn about but now learning wasn't intimidating. It wasn't scary. It wasn't imposed on them. It was they wanted to learn. They wanted to love learning. And, and that's how that process moved forward. Um, so that is how we, we started de-schooling. Wow, that's awesome. So um, the idea of revolutionary teaching and, you know, I now I have seen kind of surface a, a bit around um, just on the internet, online, that, you know, the idea of revolutionary teaching really kind of empowers youth in a way to find their own solutions individually and also collectively to problems within the world, right? Um, how much do you think, or, or should I say, should, not how much, but should, educators actually take the time out to learn about the children that they're intending to teach in the public school setting because what we want it should be the you know, priority it should be yeah well we, it, we it what we be. oh go ahead well, I was just gonna say because what, what we want to be able to do right is help them to solve problems that are not just unique individually to them but also to their community and things like that so how much um, time should educators spend to really learn about the children that they're teaching? All of it. 
like everything they do should be about investing in the children they're working with, their their relationships. My first master's thesis was actually on relationship building with African American students in the public school setting because it is so important. Everything you should you do can and should have the context of getting to know your students should have the context of honoring your students should have the context of cultural competency and cultural awareness it should be embedded in every lesson it should be embedded in every hello every high five every hug every are you okay today relationships come first there isn't a single piece of academics that is more important than any student so if you put the quote unquote textbook before the child the child is not going to access the textbook but if you put the child before the textbook and you learn that child and you gain that child's trust then you you can teach them the whole textbook you can teach them every bit of curriculum and they will absorb it happily and trustfully because they honor you um but the mistake is we don't do that we we do the inverse we say you know we're going to learn this and i maybe will get to know you a little bit along the way and it it doesn't work it's it's a flawed system i would agree with you do you feel like children in the public school system are really simply being used to reinforce that status quo of being compliant workers or do you think you know children and public school systems can somewhat help others to to really understand the world around them not just in a historical sense but in the current social sense of what's going on in the world around them mm. both i think that children in the public school setting have a burden that children should not have to carry because it absolutely is a continuance of the status quo and it should not be to the children to change that um the the school system as it's set up is absolutely set up to maintain the status quo There are some really amazing programs out there, don't get me wrong. There are some really amazing educators out there. But at the end of the day, most of those programs don't have enough access to make a vast difference in in terms of systemic change. Um and the only way that I really believe that we will make a broad difference is if we try to divest in the system. because right now what is happening is the school system is essentially mass propaganda um not necessarily political propaganda but it's propaganda about what we're supposed to do when we look at the school to prison pipeline my children have never and will never ask to use the restroom even in public school they they listen to their body period um but even that type of control is a form of conditioning when you have to ask permission to go to the restroom 
when you have to ask permission to eat because your body is hungry, when you have to ask permission to move your body because you need sensory input, all of those are form of control. And those form of control teach them that they are not in control of their person or their destiny. And that is the part that concerns me the most. Wow. So, you know, as an educator, um, you know, previously in the public education system, were there some things that you saw within your own classroom? I know we, we mentioned earlier about some of the things that you saw your own personal children were experiencing, but what about those those little babies that you had in your classroom? <laughs> my babies weren't little babies. Uh, oh, my no. specialty <laughs> was continuation education. So I had the privilege of working with the older kids and a lot of the kids that everyone else had given up on. Um, and I loved every moment of it. Like I am still in contact with most of my students. Um, I'm actually supporting several of them in homeschooling their own kids now, which is the biggest privilege of my life. Um, they still message me like, teacher. <laughs> and I'm like, what can I do for you? Um, <laughs> So, and then some of them didn't realize how young I was when I started teaching because they're like, wait, we're only 11 years apart. And I'm like, yep. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, because I, I started teaching when I was 22 in a continuation high school. So, <laughs> um, the, the kids that I had the privilege of, of working with and dealing with, and there was a lot of anti-trauma that we had to do um, with a lot of them they already felt like no one cared. They already felt undervalued. They were almost all BIPOC. Um, 33 of my, my, my children had children. Um, 30, not 33 children, 33%, one in three, um, had a child. You know, uh, that experience is actually what made me um, become a doula because I started supporting my, my students' births. I didn't even know what dueling was, but I knew that I wasn't going to let them go by themselves. Um, it's what led me into becoming a yoga instructor and a mindfulness instructor because I knew that they needed something more. Um, they needed a different set of tools. So I learned more from them than they could have ever learned from me. Um, and in my classroom, they had a voice. In my classroom, they called me Sharina. Um, it would be really hilarious because until and unless someone was highly disrespectful, they were allowed to call me Sharina. And when a student would have to say Mrs. Shaw, the other students would be like, oh, what'd you do to her? <laughs> <laughs> because we started with the baseline of respect because children are born whole and autonomous. Children aren't born beneath us. They're born whole and autonomous humans. They don't have to earn their autonomy. They don't have to earn their their wholeness. They are born that way. And a lot of times as adults, we feel like all of that has to be earned. And then we tell them, oh, why aren't you taking accountability? How are children gonna learn to take accountability for anything if they're not even allowed to be autonomous and hold accountability for themselves in the ways that matter most? Mm, wow, that is powerful. You really are like, uh, just you really do, should I say, you really do have a full holistic view of what it means to educate children, I see. Yeah. Um, 
Are you enjoying this episode? Remember to subscribe to Friends of Cabrini on Google, Spotify, and Apple. My, my families that I work with or do the workshops I do, um, all of our workshops are entitled um, Homeschooling with Head and Heart because so many people walk into this, this life experience because homeschooling is not just a form of education. It's not just a lifestyle. It is a life experience that will impact the rest of your life. Um, it is a family experience. It is an emotional experience. It is a liberating experience. It is an ancestral healing experience. So everything we do is done with head and heart in, in that balance. Because if you are heart forward and you don't think things through, then in our practical reality of this capitalist society we're in, our children don't have what they need. But if you are all head, and you don't lead with heart, then we have children who are hardened and who lead with logic and not what's best for community, not what's best for family, not what's best for self. And and we want to raise children who have a balance of self-care and reality so that they can grow up and be the dreamers who are also game changers, not just the dreamers who don't have a plan of how to implement their dreams. So, you know, um, with this idea of us homeschooling our children as an alternate to public education, it's it's more than just, obviously we know it's more than just changing the learning methods and how our children individually learn. But would you say that it definitely has um, the opportunity, homeschooling has the opportunity to really kind of eliminate that hierarchy and you know all of the different inequalities that children face within the learning environments that they're in? Not all of them, um, but most of them, yes. Um, the ones that homeschooling doesn't inherently um, address are those that have financial implications um, and, and resource access. Um, but there are a lot of ways to work around it once you, you kind of figure out how, how to do it. In terms of all of the other inequalities, inequalities, I would say that homeschooling absolutely does that. Um, when people hear about my oldest children and what they are doing, they are dumbfounded to learn that they both have very, very substantial, you know, special needs, exceptional needs. They both have like 40 page IEPs. Um, and learning was not easy for them. Um, but because we were able to homeschool, because we were able to allow them to be passion-led, because we were able to take our time, because we were able to allow them not to be exposed to the constant stressors of being quote-unquote on time or unscheduled with their learning, um, we were able to allow them to learn in the ways that they needed to learn without the oppression and without the stigma that sometimes comes if you have a learning disability. So in in those ways, um, 
it, it was definitely a game changer. There's no way that my kids would be where they are um, if we if we kept them in the public school because they would not have been invested in in the same way. They would have not been marked as quote unquote high performing um, because they are not test takers. They would have not been given access to the things that we chose to give them access to. Um, and they would not have done it in a way where they were able to, again, enjoy and love learning. And so now you mentioned your children um, have IEP plans. How did you go about that process? Um, did this Was this a process that began while you guys were still in the public school system? Or was this something that you started to do once you started to homeschool? Both. So for the older kids, they had an IEP before we pulled them. They were in early elementary school when we left the public school system. Um, for the last four children, I have to count. <laughs> for the last four children, all of, um, well, three of the four have IEPs. And those IEPs were all done um, after leaving the public school system. And in, in conjunction with the public school system um, locally, so our school district and our county office of education. Okay. They are still required to pay <laughs> for your children's interventions if they do qualify for an IEP. They're required really? to pay for them or provide them. Yes, ma'am. Wow. Now, how did, how did you come across that information? Um, well... IEPs are federal and 504 documents are federal and that the school districts get federal funding for children who have those needs within their district. A child can be enrolled in a school district just for special education services and have the rest of their experience homeschooled. A lot of school districts fight against it, but it is it is within your legal right to do so. Now, do you, do, like, I'm sure, um, you know, because you are in California, so I, I know that you know that this is definitely for sure something in California, but with this, do you think this also applies to all of the other states since it's federal, since it's a, you know, federal? I have federal never law? had a situation with a family that I have supported where it has not been applied. And I've worked okay. with families in at least 15 states. Okay. So my personal experience is 100 for 100%. Um, <laughs> I, I can't imagine that, I mean, there are a lot of states that would try not to do it, but just because they try not to, to make it easy doesn't mean it cannot be done. And ironically, no. our very Republican states are the ones that are easiest to do it in. Mm, wow. Because they tend so, to be the most homeschool friendly states because other people have been divesting their children for a very long time so as to be able to support and raise their children with the ideologies that they want. So, you know, since then they will be, since the IEP plans are then supported by federal dollars, are the children um, that are homeschooled that do, right, that do have the IEP plans or the four, 504 plans, are they receiving the services directly from somewhere, one of the schools within the district or can you kind of outsource with those services and, and you still you be able to use the funds like that? Usually it is through the district. 
um, there are some situations, especially with COVID, where the districts have certain contractors. So, for example, um, my daughter's uh, speech, she's in Illinois, um, and they meet online. So, but it's generally the schools will provide them or provide access to them. Um, a lot of people also don't know is for a lot of those services, your medical insurance will also cover. So you can actually double up. Wow, that's good to know. Good information. These are things I actually never knew about. <laughs> so thank you for, for sharing that. I appreciate it. And I know that we definitely have listeners um, who do have diverse learners at home or probably in public school still. And so um, these are all definitely good things that should be should be shared and should be yeah. known. Um, just so, so I'll note it um, because a lot of people think that um, my children, my older children, their, their diagnoses are, are minimal and they weren't. So I have four children on the autism spectrum. I have ADHD in my home, dysgraphia, dyscalculia in my home, um, dyslexia, um, executive functioning disorder, reading delay disorder, um, root memory retention disorder, so we're, we're dealing with a lot of things and homeschooling gives us the time to teach them to learn in the way that their brain accesses the learning. And once we can ensure that they they learn how to learn, then it's no longer the same obstacle. So for the first initial step, right, into figuring out what type of learner that you have, what's what is the testing process, I guess, for families that are currently homeschooling, but they have not been able to do an IEP plan, say, with a public school. Um, what should that testing process look like for them? Um, the, there's two ways that people can do it. Some people go to their doctor and ask their doctor for a referral to usually an autism clinic or some kind of special education clinic. Do remember that pediatricians do not diagnose those things. Um, they can have an inkling, but the diagnosis is, it usually takes quite some time um, in terms of the testing. It's several hours. Um, or you can go to your local school district and put it in writing that you would like to request IEP testing and the school district will test them. But I don't want to confuse people with an IEP process and how children learn. All students and parents who consider homeschooling should know how their children learn. IEPs are put in place to build a bridge to help students who otherwise could not access grade appropriate learning to gain access to said learning. Okay, wonderful. I think I agree with you. I think they should know that. Definitely know um, how your children <laughs> learn at home. And, and that so I happens know, in de-schooling. <laughs> when you start yes. in de-school, you will learn that. Yes, you do. And so, you know, I, I know we mentioned about um, if homeschooling. And eliminating some of those hierarchies and inequalities and learning environments. But you did mention that you felt for most of those things, with the exception of finances. Um, can you go a little bit more in depth about that 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 idea that you have? I of mean, why? 
Because money makes certain experiences more accessible. And that's just kind of the reality of living in a capitalist society. Um, money gives you the ability to access better technology, better computers. Uh, where you live gives you different access to different professionals. Like if you live in a certain neighborhood, one neighbor may be a doctor, one neighbor may be an accountant, another one may be a computer programmer. But you know, if you live in another neighborhood, you don't have access to meeting those people to have your children learn under. Um, but there are workarounds around it. And the key is to make sure that the world is your classroom. Don't stay in your community only. Don't stay in one space. Don't say, I don't know how to do this or I don't have this. It, it really is about being proactive. And it is about going out, seeking the resources and then bringing you back in. If you don't have a lot of strong Facebook communities, there are so many amazing Facebook spaces cultivated for Black homeschoolers um, and for Black unschoolers. I, I would be very, um, I will be very specific when we discuss unschooling, especially in Facebook. I highly advise you to seek BIPOC or Black spaces because unschooling philosophies are very, very broad. And some unschooling philosophies could put Black children at risk, if I'm being honest, in the way they're implemented outside of our community. So that is important to note. Um, Correct. Because our children <laughs> don't have the same leeway in the world. It, it's just the reality. Um, and if we send our babies out in the snow with no shoes on and no clothes on and tell them they can go walk for 27 miles, the police are going to come and take our kids. We don't have that privilege. Not that we would necessarily want to do that, but we can't. Um, so that's important to be noted. <laughs> correct, correct. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Um, I think that for for us in our unschool process, I try to keep it centered around the Black experience. I'll, I'll, I'll say, for lack of better words, um, keep it centered around the Black experience, right, in the world and giving my son, making sure, or should I say, making sure he has that social view of how things are now as well as how things are were in the past which is like we said before really not that far away from where we are today um but yes i agree with you with that um the other thing you mentioned was about like being proactive with going outside of your neighborhood and i was thinking that as you were speaking about like how even though we may not sometimes financially have the means to homeschool or to unschool, but you can find ways to get to be really creative and resourceful. Um, oh, yeah. And with using like the folks in your community, your family. And I know a lot of times here on the show, we've had a lot of folks uh, share about like different places and or uh, relatives that they may have, you know, maybe the library or maybe there's a mom who previously with a seamstress or a grandparent or something. So I, I think that- There's access everywhere. Yes. I, I think that is important to definitely let people know, like, you don't have to have a million dollars to go through this process. And, at, at all. I can homeschool on pretty much zero. Um, we it, it, it's very possible and doable in, in a joyful way, um, especially when you unschool. Um, homeschool is a culture of valuing stuff and curriculum 
and it almost gets somewhat toxic because most of us who homeschool for a long time have too much stuff and 98% of it we do not use. Um, <laughs> but if I'm being honest, a good set of markers and an iPad and I'm good to go. Um, because those are my two biggies, quality markers and an iPad. This is true. I am currently right now in the process of getting rid of all things that we just have here sitting at home, science projects and things of that nature that have been unused. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're, and I we're have 13 years of it. Yeah, we're, we're really trying to get rid of all of those things. Um, I think we are, for us, I think we're going into a different phase in our unschooling. And I'm happy earlier that you mentioned how um, in this process of educating our, our little learners, you know, it's more of just not just them learning, right? the day-to-day skills or academic skills or life skills, but um, it's the life experience. It's the family experience, like you said, as well as, as how you mentioned the ancestral healing. And for us, I think we are hitting a little bit more in that direction. So I, it's very cool that you mentioned about how um, the experience for Black unschoolers is different for other um ethnicity. it's very different like my my daughter um my second daughter did her senior project in cuba um so that was a really cool experience um because we we spent about a month in cuba because my children were ordaining their priestesses as am i um and she got to build that and, and do that and we had we have the opportunity to spend a month in Jamaica so we like we travel because I want them to have a global worldview not just the narrow world worldview from you know our our front yard um we allow them to live by their rhyme and rhythm their own internal clock we allow them to understand who they are and what their personal value systems are Um, The center of our homeschool is is social justice and advocacy. So pretty much everyone who comes from this house ends up being some kind of advocate. Um, Michaela, my oldest daughter, uh, she's at UC Berkeley and she is very involved in the Black Resource and Retention Center on campus. She's their K-12 coordinator. So she recruits young Black children to Cal. Sydney, my second oldest, she's at Berkeley on scholarship also, and she is involved in their COP, which is the United Nations um, Global Environmental Summit. She went last year in Egypt. She's going next year to Dubai um, because she's really passionate about environmentalism, and the other kids coming up have, have their passions. So my goal is just to give them views of the world that they would not otherwise see so that they can understand that our situation here is not it. There's so much to see, do, change, explore, find. And, and my job is is to be their tour guide. Um, actually, I take that back. They're my tour guides. My job <laughs> is just to provide the vessel. You know, um, I don't know if anyone has ever, you know, told, said it out loud, but the biggest investment for a homeschooler is a car that you like (laughs) because you spend a lot of time in the car. Homeschoolers are never home. Um, 
we're always going somewhere, doing something. You know, a cooler in your trunk is magic during the summer when you just go for adventures. Um, but being out in the community is, it holds a value that goes so much further than any textbook. Um, than any computer program, than any app could, could ever do. And a lot of people who don't um, yet unschool don't realize the world can be your classroom. You don't need the curriculum. You don't need the stuff. I agree. Um, oh my gosh. You're saying so many things. They're just like, yes, this is what I'm currently experiencing. Literally, even even the car. <laughs> um Wow, you just are so phenomenal. I swear you really are. Uh, you know, and I and I think everything that you're saying and especially what your family is currently experiencing, I think that speaks to exactly what the idea of a radical education, revolutionary teaching really, really is. Um, allowing your children to really just draw their own conclusions. As you said, just see the world around them, get involved in the world, not just politically but just get involved right um have have a have a why you know allowing them to see that they do matter and they do have a voice in the world and they can actually make a difference outside of just their family but in the neighborhood in the world in general so i think that it's phenomenal that your children are doing so many amazing things wow united nations when you say finding your why (laughs) that is so important um, for parents that I actually have taught multiple day workshops for, for prospective um, homeschool parents about finding your why. Because if as the homeschool parent, you don't understand your why fully, you can't execute this well. And unfortunately for us, so many of us, our why is fear and that can't be our why and, and have this be successful. That can be what was our push to make the leap, but it can't be the core of why we get up and do what we do every Schooling is not easy because kids are kids and sometimes we they, they frustrate us and they anger us and they make poor decisions and you just want to be alone and you're out touched. <laughs> and if your why is fear, it's not going to sustain you when you are just done as a human. Right. Do you your think it's not internal? Do you think it's possible as a veteran homeschooler that you can lose sight of why you initially start, like why you're doing it? Or do you think that sometimes as veteran homeschoolers, we might we might need to be kind of like pushed back or get a, a new awakening of how to stay with the process? I um, return to my why every year. Okay. Every single year. And when I didn't, those years were harder. Um, I was less okay as a person and when I am less okay like yes everybody needs one next but if I'm walking around on anxiety like shaking the whole house has that vibe right so constantly returning to your why like my why is simple I aim to raise children who don't have to recover from childhood I want them to be healthy and whole. Like, I don't advocate uh, wellness. I advocate wholeness. So we want them to grow up to be whole, healthy humans. 
Um, and, and that is my why. And it's been my why for several years now, probably about seven or eight years because it changed. Um, as my kids started getting older, I, I realized the long-term potential of I'm the one who's setting the foundation for, for everything here. What do I want for them? And at first, you know, it was the homeschoolers that I now actually kind of have a hard time with. They're like, oh, I want them to be geniuses. I want them to finish college early. I want them to do this. And and now I'm so against all of those things um, <laughs> because just a 14 year old has no business at a four, two, four year university. Like you're robbing them of their childhood just because they are brilliant doesn't mean that they deserve to be robbed of childhood. Um, now, did my children graduate from high school with ample college credit? Absolutely. They were able to go to college as as a sophomore and a, and a junior. Am I still giving them four years to finish college? Absolutely. Because they deserve to have that whole experience. I didn't have them take those classes so they can be rushed. I had them take those classes so they can be free, so they can go study abroad, so they can take a reduced course load if they needed to, so they can take the art class that they really wanted to take. We, we do for our children so we can free them, not entrap them mm. in, wow. in, in my household. So finding your why and knowing it, like from the inside out, like as a mantra is, is so important. And that's why I ended up having to dedicate a workshop to it because I found myself saying the same thing constantly to parents and in my Facebook group. And it was just like, okay, I can't say this anymore. Um, I have to dig deeper because they're not getting it. So um, yeah, finding your why is critical. Wow. Now we talk, you're talking about wholeness and the thing I'm wondering about is we say that we want our children to be whole, well-rounded, and to be able to lead healthy and wonderful lives in their own right. Mm -hmm. How do you as a parent center yourself from being overwhelmed in the journey, right? Because a lot of times I, I like to think that as a parent, um, I'm not necessarily leading and telling my son what he should focus on or what he should learn, but I'm more so a partner in his educational journey and just partnering with him in life in general. Um, how do you center yourself to make sure that you're not involving your child or connecting them to things that are maybe toxic or things that are oppressive um, for them? When we communicate a lot um, in, in this house and the older children have earned the right to say, mom, if they see something that I'm doing with the younger kids or they realize something that maybe I did wrong, we have that relationship where they can be like, so remember when this happened when I was 14? I didn't like how you responded to that. And Kendall's 12. So can we talk about how you would handle that for her? Because the goal is always for me to be better, just like the goal is always for them to be better. So one, we, we communicate openly. Two, we communicate openly. If I need a break, <laughs> I, I tell the children, I am tired. Mommy is at capacity right now. And they're like, oh, mommy's going to play The Sims. Yes, I am. And they know that when I'm playing my video game, you don't want me interrupting yours, don't interrupt mine. <laughs> and even the two-year-old knows that that is a form of my self-care. Um, three, I, 
I started choosing hobbies for me and not for them. That's how I became a yoga instructor. Um, because I wanted something that I love to do for me that had nothing to do with them. And as a homeschooler, that's super important because sometimes we forget we are whole people and we can't want them to be whole if we don't show them what wholeness looks like. So, you know, I take the time. I show them what it means to take the time for me. Um, all of the children over 10 have a dinner day in this house where they cook, they cook dinner at least once a week, depending on their age, twice a week. Um, so all of the meals aren't on me because when you're on home, when you're a homeschooler, that's three meals a day, every day, seven days a week. It's not like when you send them off. So like the little ones will help with breakfasts, the older ones help with dinners. We have a family meal calendar. So everybody knows, you know, what is up next. The person who cooks the night before pulls out whatever the proteins are for the next day out the freezer. Um, so all of these things are built in to our life in order to give me space to breathe and be me. Because there was a solid couple of years, um, probably about six years into this journey, where I, I don't think I, I breathed at all. I, I wasn't taking care of myself. I was tired. I was gaining weight. I was unhealthy. I was eating horrible things and I lived off a of monster energy drink and it, it just it wasn't a good representation of what I wanted my daughters to become in as a woman just burnt out and exhausted um and it wasn't even that my husband wasn't willing to help I wasn't willing to tell him what I needed because I didn't know because I hadn't taken self-inventory so I I definitely encourage you to embed self-care practices into your day every day and then embed larger self-care practices into your life at least once a month and then I if you can get on a plane <laughs> do that at least once a year and and let the kids go and, and you go and be you I just got back from Curacao two weeks ago and it was amazing are you enjoying this episode Remember to subscribe to Friends of Cabrini on Google, Spotify, and Apple. For some uh, single parents, right, who are on this homeschooling or unschooling journey, they may not have the support um, in which you've shared a little bit with your family, your husband, um, the children. What are, I would say, one or, or two tips that you would give to a single parent homeschooler that might be a struggle? For most of my homeschooling journey, I was essentially a single parent homeschooler. I was married, but my husband worked these insane hours and commuted his commute was like two hours each way. So it, it was pretty much me and the kids. Um, one, put joy into your day. Two, allow the kids to follow their natural rhyme and rhythm. If you hear my house is quiet, my house is quiet because the children are still asleep. I am not an early morning person, but I do like to get things done before they wake up. So, if they don't wake up until 11, that's fine for me because then I'm allowed to wake up at 8.30, do what I need to do, get the day ready, get everything moving, 
get set up, find my calm, do something like this. And then I get to get up and do the them because remember, homeschooling does not take six, seven, eight hours a day. <laughs> so they don't have to be up at the crack of dawn to do well. Um, so, oh, the first one just woke up. Um, so allow <laughs> them to sleep and, and monitor their um, monitor their sleep cycle and then you build your day around it. If, if you enjoy a bath, make sure that, you know, you go and you take that bath. And if it's a bath bomb or going in the garden and getting some basil and putting in your bath, do that. If it's playing a video game, do that. Do not feel guilty for carving time out for you. It is healthy for your children to see you taking care of yourself. So for me, most of my self-care is my video game. I love it. it, it I've been playing since I was a kid. And every day it allows me to decompress and when my computer broke in november um i was devastated because i didn't have my game um and then for christmas my two adult children got together and bought me a new computer with the specs exactly for my game because they know that it means so much and my husband too he just walked in with coffee and he was like i helped with the computer <laughs> so for me like having that video game is is really important a meeting with myself and god on my yoga mat every day is important um so whatever it is that bring you that brings you joy don't forget it if it's a garden start with a windowsill garden or a shoebox garden and and put it on your porch or your patio and and just start doing the little things that bring you joy because your children are going to watch you be joyful and that makes them joyful because joy is contagious when they see mommy happy, they're happy. And when they see you happy and you doing it consistently, they're going to begin to respect that time a little bit. I agree with you. I think um, whatever the mood is, right, it does. It has kind of like almost like a mirroring or a ripple effect in your home. So that's awesome that you shared that. So many wonderful ideas there. Um, you have multiple age learners, and I'm sure that you have had to pivot a whole lot in your homeschooling journey with your children. Um, what has been your biggest pivot of all so far? Transitioning from traditional, um, well, I shouldn't even say from traditional. I transitioned from traditional homeschooling to eclectic homeschooling, to being an eclectic unschooler, to being an unschooler. So I became an unschooler in like little stair steps, primarily because my husband needed some time um, because he's a very type A and the concept of unschooling terrified him. Um, so we just kind of did it bit by bit by bit. But that transition was the transition that really changed our home. Um, it, it really changed how the children love to learn. It really changed what their learning experience was like. We spent so much time with Black Girls Code. Um, shout out to Kimberly Bryant um, and doing and working with the resources from BGC and the connections. The mentors that the girls made when they were nine are still the mentors that um, that they have now at, at 18 and 20 um, because those women invested in their lives and in their futures. Um, I 
unschooling um, has has been the biggest blessing, allowing the children to to be free to lead and learning to lead at a very young age has has been a blessing. Allowing them to have bodily autonomy um, was a blessing. Um, if you've never read Akila Richards' book, Care um, of the Free Child, please do. Um, she had a quote in there that said something along the lines of, my children are not continents to be colonized. They are their own and sovereign nations. And that that is why we unschool. Mm, wow. How important is diversity and cultural representation to your family? If I'm super honest, it's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> my house is Black-centered, unapologetically. Um, a lot of diversity happens because they have an interest in cultures and cultural awareness and things like that. Um, so from that perspective, um, it, it matters. But in terms of what we seek out, we seek out Black spaces. Um, that being said, we're in California and it's already very diverse, but Black spaces are harder to find. So the focus is, is Black spaces, Blackness, um, being advocates for the Black community. Um, because that is, that's what I do for a living. Um, so that's just kind of what, what they're super involved in. So diversity has definitely played a role, but it has not been the central focus of our homeschool. Got it. And so I know you've mentioned a little bit about your your older two children, and uh, now they are both college uh, college age learners. And so I'm sure some of our listeners are probably wondering, how do you, you know, how do you transition from high school to college um, in a manner that's not very similar, right, to the traditional way of how public schools graduate children and go about doing things? Um, were there any sorts of testing that they needed to complete or do with the state of California in order to start the process of college applications and things of that nature, or maybe with the, the scholarships that they've received? So California is tricky because technically, legally, there is no homeschool status in California. Hmm, California okay. has two ways of homeschooling. You can either A, register under a charter um, homeschool, which is a public homeschool program. Some are great, some are not so great, some are super unschool friendly, some are not. You have to be very careful with that. But the benefit of registering with one of those programs is most of them come with funding. Okay. So there's a certain allotment for every child that you can spend on supplies, experiences, yada, yada, yada. The second option in California is to create what is called a PSA, which is a public school affidavit, which basically turns your home into a private school. Okay. Um, the PSA gives you the most freedom, but it also has a few more hoops you have to go through. So if you PSA your child, you probably do need to prepare them for doing SAT, um, SAT and SAT2 um, subject matter tests. Um, and the, 
the college application process, if you do a PSA, does usually involve portfolios to, to display learning. If you go through the homeschool charter programs in California, most of those are actually WASC accredited. So there are no initial or additional hoops to jump through. Um, in addition, in, in relation to how we transferred, we actually flipped their high school model upside down. So the classes that most students take in their junior and senior year in high school is what mm -hmm. our children take in their freshman and sophomore years. Okay. And then we would partner it with the freshman and sophomore classes for kind of a cross-curricular approach. By doing that, the subject matters that really matter in life, because when you think about what kids really need to understand, they need to understand government, they need to understand economics, and they need to understand finances. For some reason, we teach those senior year when children are burnt out. We teach them in my home freshman year so that we have four years to guide them through what these things mean on an in-depth model. So we don't have to do this at a surface level. By the end of my children's sophomore year, they are eligible for graduation, but we do not allow them to graduate. Okay. Um, in that sophomore year, they start taking classes at the JC if they choose to do so. Um, because in the state of California, as with most states, if you are in high school in the state, the junior college or community college is free and it does not count against your long-term financial aid cap. So you know how when you go to college, there's only semesters of financial aid you can get? Those free right. semesters don't count against that. Okay, wonderful. That's good to know. When they're in high Yes, so like Sydney is the one who is in her first year at Berkeley right now. She finished um, high school with um, an entrepreneurship degree. While she didn't really take any formal high school classes, she took the college classes for the entrepreneurship degree. Michaela opted not to get a degree, but she ended up transferring with 40, 40 units, um, which is the equivalent of an AA degree, but she was taking the classes that she wanted to take for the major that she was taking in college. So both of them were able to transfer, um, well, not even transfer, to start college with an abundance of credits. So because they had been taking college classes for two years prior to going to college, the transition was absolutely seamless. Their first semester of college classes, I took the classes with them. I registered myself, took the classes, <laughs> which it actually never hurts because if you're in school for six units, your student loans are deferred. So I was not mad because I will be in six units every other semester until the day that I die because I'm never paying these student loans back. <laughs> So <laughs> I take classes all the time anyway. So I, I took the classes with them so we could monitor them. I always suggest to parents for the first semester taking classes. I highly suggest you put your kid in an online class or a hybrid class because the online classes are much more structured. Everything is written. All the due dates are written. They can easily follow along, see what's due, see how it's due and kind of get in that habit of um, having that accountability. Whereas when you take the classes in person in college, you're not gonna get everything in writing. So sometimes for younger kids, it's harder for them to realize what is being fully asked of them. Okay, that's good to know. 
some really good tips there. I'm curious though, like, did you create their um, transcript or is there a model or something that you kind of had to follow um, in order to submit and things like that? Yes, we created their transcripts. Um, as much as I am not a fan of HSLDA, um, their transcript um, programming um, is pretty amazing. <laughs> and that is one of the single best tools that I've ever seen for it. So while I don't agree with anything about them, it that is an amazing tool. Um, Interesting. And, <laughs> yeah. It, I, I have not seen a, a tool that is as thorough anywhere else because it easily allows you not only to create the transcript, but to create the transcript summaries for the classes and all of those things. That is just, I mean, I'm capable of doing it on my own because I was an administrator, but most people, it's really difficult to create all of that from scratch, especially for certain high caliber schools. They don't only want the transcript. They want all of the class explanations and everything else. And, and that tool helps helps you do that. Mm -hmm. That's really cool that, that that is a process um, that they offer. You mentioned that you're not too much of a fan of um, the, their, I guess their programming or, you know. Ideology. Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to find the, word, the correct word <laughs> to use there. Yeah, they are. Um, I, I, uh, from a philosophical standpoint, outside of the right to homeschool, which they are fierce advocates of, I don't agree with anything um, about them. But we agree that all, all families should have the right to homeschool. Right. Do you feel like they do enough to support African American, Hispanic, or Asian families, or? Um, not so much. Not, on the surface, they do. But the reality is if you are not assimilating to what they want you to assimilate to, which is primarily white culture, Judeo-Christian, um, then it, you are not fully accepted. And okay. I am the opposite of all of that. So, <laughs> right. so I'm definitely not a fit. But I, I do greatly um, value their work in terms of if, if the right to homeschooling is threatened, they are there on the front line. And it's important to know if these rights are being threatened where you are. And if you follow them, you will find that out. Correct. That's true. I agree with you on that one. Awesome. So see, I hear you have a little one there. Um, I know you said that your your little ones are well, not quite so little, right? Because you have a twenty, you have twenty year old. Um, so I know, I, are twenty, eighteen, seventeen. My bonus baby is seventeen. My nephew, um, twelve. Five and two. <laughs> I yeah, have all of the ages. Yeah, I know you're just, you said earlier you had a two-year-old. Um, a lot of people, and I'm sure you've probably seen this from social media, a lot of parents at that 
that time period when their kids are two and one. Or I've even seen some like that have newborns already, and they're asking like, "Well, what can I do to homeschool my child at two or at one years old?" Um, don't. The answer is <laughs> don't. Enjoy your children. Read, play, sing, go on nature walks, go to the beach, enjoy this time. Because the reality of the situation is homeschooling is homeschooling when you can go to jail for doing it wrong. And you don't need to rush that. Enjoy your babies. I am absolutely not homeschooling the toddler right now. Because um, she's a toddler. We have fun. We play. And yes, learning happens all the time. Yes, you are your child's first teacher, but homeschooling is a legal status. And yes. so many people forget that it is a legal status. And when you begin to start calling what you're doing with your toddler homeschooling, that really does blur the lines. And then a lot of people miss the legal obligations that you have when you choose to walk on this path. Um, just like there's a, a dramatic difference between you know, a daycare provider and a teacher. Are they both educators? Absolutely. But the legal requirements of what is expected is different. Correct. I agree. I agree. And so with your, your two and your five-year-old, I'm sure you guys do a lot of play things or, or play learning. I, I, I don't want to say play things. I'm sure you guys do a lot of uh, learning through play. What are some of the things that, that you've seen that they kind of love and just are infatuated with at this age? Their garden. Um, each one of the children have a little kiddie pool. <laughs> And they create their own gardens. And during the spring and summer, they're able to like harvest their own food and make their own salads for lunch every day. Um, by the time they're like Amethyst age, she's able to tend the garden completely by herself. She's five now. Um, so their gardens are a really, really big one. Um, yoga, the children all have an independent yoga practice. By the time they're about five, they're able to practice without me um, because they've done it so much. There are a couple of really amazing BIPOC yoga books um, for children. One is called I Am Peace. Another one is called Good Morning Yoga and Good Night Yoga. Um, so we, we do a lot of yoga. Audiobooks. Audiobooks make access uh, learning accessible to all the kids so you can have really you know challenging reads for your older kids but the younger kids can still be into the the storyline so think children of blood and bone harry potter things like that the older kids can be reading and doing projects on it and you know the younger children are just caught up in the whimsical world of it so audiobooks have been a clutch <laughs> um we love a good audiobook um we do a lot of art, a lot of painting, um, because, you know, if the older kids are doing like a mapping the world project where they're creating their own atlases, the younger kids can be painting and doing those other things at the same time. So we just really do allow them to have the space to, to, to learn and to have access to the things that they want to learn and touch and feel. And we don't glorify busy here. Um, we allow them to have downtime. We allow them to rest. Um, and because a, a lot of the parents are just anti-rest and I, I don't know why. And then they wonder why as adults, 
we don't know how to rest <laughs> because I, culturally you know what? we weren't allowed to. I think I think and I'm glad you mentioned that because I think I think it has something to do with the psychological mind like of knowing that when the kids are in the public school setting it's do 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 you know they shift between classes at least at some of the the schools and things like that so they're always having to do something and I think I think that speaks back to what you were saying earlier about de-schooling your own mindset. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Rested children. Um, rested children are children who learn. Like, think about it. Do you learn new things well when you're exhausted and always thinking about the next thing you have to do? No. <laughs> so we probably feel more overwhelmed, I feel like. Than anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. So you did mention that you have a young man there as well. And we definitely know for sure that the educational Ooh. experiences of uh, O2, okay. Uh, yeah, my the nephew, my son. Wonderful. So the, the educational experiences of young men are completely different from those of young women, especially mm-hmm. in the public education system. Um, are you doing anything unique with your your boys there to kind of help them to journey through their homeschool process as well but you know anything I guess um that you would say other African-American families or families of color should probably kind of implement as well my son um his is most certainly different because he is uh, on spectrum um, his classification would be considered moderate to severe. Um, so there is a lot of changes that happen with him. My nephew, um, my sister-in-law and I decided to pull him out of the public school system in his sophomore year. So he's been with us for almost two years. He graduates in May. So proud of him. Nice. Um, and, and for him, the process for him was it was a steep learning curve because I didn't have as much time as I would normally have to like decolonize and change what learning looks like and make things joy-led but for them it it is a lot of giving them space and access because black men aren't allowed that space to be you know when you see a bunch of black boys sitting around somewhere it's loitering right um so for him, just the concept of being in a space where it was a safe space educationally, um, being in a space where he was allowed to fail because failure is important. Um, and, and then allowed to recoup that failure, you know, so no one's going to give up on you because you didn't do well on this. No one is going to walk away from you because you didn't do well on this. No one is going to turn their back on you because you didn't do well on this. So that concept of knowing that I am safe is has been a substantial role for him. Um, that concept of knowing that you have options in your future that had never been presented to you um had never had never been presented to him how do you teach them or how do you encourage them um to have that confidence in themselves as as young men growing up 
in the world and there's so many things that I'm sure they, they witness or they see um, from maybe their own peers or, you know, the news or social media. How do you encourage them to just kind of stay focused and to really be confident in who they are as, as young men that will soon be adult men in the world and probably fathers and husbands and women, right? We remind them of who they are often and loudly and, and from our heart. We let them know that they have been seen. We let them know that they are honored. Um, we let them know that, that they are everything that they are supposed to be and, and more. And we do it consciously and consistently from the time that they are little. Um, we let them be and we allow them to have the expressions that they need to have. Like my nephew is this in, in, incredibly talented writer and he'll write something for me. And sometimes I can barely even read it because of all of the ways he writes his language. So then I finally get through it and the story is amazing. And I'm like, okay, can you write it in, in standard English vernacular now so we can like <laughs> compare and contrast? So then he'll do that. And then we say, okay, so if we were to publish this, where is the middle ground? Where does it, where did we make this so this story is relevant and it has the relevant language for your community and who you're meeting, but so it's readable for the average person. And that is how we help him realize that his natural gifts can also be the talents that he used, you know, he uses for his future because he's very interested in becoming a writer. So we just do things to to value and, and to uplift them. Um, and like I said, failure is not a bad thing. It's an opportunity for, for more learning. And, and that is what we embed in them. So it, it took a while, but now that fear is no longer there. Is there any particular pop cultural song, uh, film, television series from either of the previous decades that you feel kind of reflects your current home school experience right now with your family? Blossom. <laughs> Blossom. Awesome. I love Blossom. <laughs> yeah. I, I, oh, either that or Punky Brewster. Okay. Okay. Why did you choose those two? Um, I would honestly say Punky Brewster more than Blossom, uh, now that I think about it. And it's because they're just children who are allowed to be themselves. They were allowed to be free. Punky Brewster was always the one who kind of stood up for the underdog. She was always kind of the advocate. Um, and there are other shows that definitely have themes in what we do. But so many of those shows are heavy. Um, because the African-American experience is heavy. But I refuse to let that be my homeschool experience. So I'm going to go with Punky Brewster. Nice. I love it. For us, I think uh, it will be Smart Guy because I love I'm, it. I'm literally realizing that my son is literally a smart guy and not like, you know, I, of course I knew academic wise, right? He has a wealth of intelligence, but. Uh, I would say in the last three weeks or so, I have really, truly witnessed his emotional intelligence. 
yes. and how, how he's able to handle situations and conversations that typically we would say children should not be involved in or they should not be experiencing or know anything about but he's uh really very healthy and well-rounded and he's able to really just have a strong level of emotion intelligence where i admire it you know <laughs> it's like you just brought me joy sis yes yeah, I remember he, he he's really uh, you know teaching me things. And last night we had a conversation, or should, no, I want to say last night. I think it was like two a.m. this morning. <laughs> um, but just the way that he kind of speaks, I think, and his ideas uh, when he shares, it just kind of enlightens me, and I'm just like, hmm. I don't know where this child came from. <laughs> it's that that's, that's the best experience ever. I'm so happy for you. Like Thank emotional you. intelligence. People don't realize how important it is and it, it really should be taught purposely. Yes, and we've we've been going through a space in the I want to say in the last year or so where uh, confidence and things like that has been uh, at full at surface and I think it might just be because of his age at this time I'm not quite sure but uh, I'm just really observing and noticing in the last couple of weeks like he's handling situations very well so much so like where you know he can really give advice to adults <laughs> who yes, yes, <laughs> don't yes. handle their situations as well <laughs> I'm so excited to hear that that I'm just legitimately joyful for you Thank you. So yeah, that's that's why I would say smart guy. Um. Wonderful. Well, I enjoyed having you on the show. I would definitely love to catch up with you sometime uh, in a couple of months from now to see how you guys are doing. And thank you so much, truly, for sharing all about your experience and each of your your children's experiences as well in this journey. Um, is there any contact information you would like to share where folks can kind of reach out for, to you if they are interested in consulting with you or um, just say Yeah, you can, on Facebook is, is where I primarily live. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can reach out to me at, um, my group is the Melanin Unschool Tribe. Okay. So I, I, I always love to have me there. We have really in-depth discussions and I, I do workshops and retreats and intensives there. And then our page is Glitch Alchemy Education by the Melanin Unschoolers. Um, the reason it's so long right now is because we're going through a rebranding. So everything is moving over to Glitch Alchemy because it's all under one name. And that's B-L-I-T-C-H. Um, which stands for Black Witch Alchemy. Um, um, so Blitch Alchemy Education by the Melanin Unschoolers. And you can catch us both there. Same thing for IG and Twitter. Um, and I'm, I'm just around. Or you can reach out to my personal page, which is Sharina Shaw, C-H-E-R-I-N-A. Um, Sharina Okikilo, O-K-I-K-I-L-O, Shaw, S-H-A-W, on Facebook. And I can direct you wherever you need to go. I love it. Does your name does your uh, name have any particular special meaning by chance? If you want to share it, so I'm an ordained priestess of Yemaya in the Lukumi tradition, 
Okay. And um, my name is Oki Kilo, and that means the wealth of Yemaya. And the wealth of Yemaya is her children because she is the mother of mothers. I love that. The mother of Thank mothers. You. Yes. My grandfather in Ocha um, gave me that name. So That is um, beautiful. It, 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 it is near and dear to my heart. I never thought I would actually be one of the people who go by my spiritual name, but I actually use it more than I don't at this point in life. So, yeah, because <laughs> it's very it was much meant to be. It yeah. was definitely meant to be. Wonderful. So that well, is where Okakilo comes from. <laughs> That's so awesome. Well, thank you again so much for being on the show. And thank you listeners to listening to the show. I hope you took so much from the show. Mrs. Shaw shared so much wealth of knowledge and wisdom for all of us, regardless of race, I think there's something that we can all take away from this and learn. Please reach out to her and consult with her. She is phenomenal. As I said earlier, this was a great show. <laughs> and well, thank you guys so much and just enjoy every moment. Like remember with homeschooling, you always have time. You have your <laughs> yes. 24 seven, 365. You have time, enjoy it. <laughs> I agree, definitely enjoy it. Uh, continue to subscribe to the Friends Can Bring You podcast right here on Apple, Spotify, and Google. Until next time. Hey, friends. So did you enjoy today's show? I know I sure did. Go ahead right now and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Google. And make sure you tell a friend.